Welcome to PCC this morning. I'd like to invite our fifth grade and under students to make their way to the back where their teachers will receive them and head out to class. Uh, today, uh, we continue in our series through the book of Ephesians. I invite you to grab your Bible and turn there, if you will. Uh, we've been going through this, uh, this uh, letter uh, to uh, this region to address to the Ephesians that um, we're looking at, and we're trying to see how together and growing and living in Christ is what we're called to do. We've explored this letter and, and really trying to look at how it stresses the importance of who we are and where we are, and how we live our lives, and how as a community of believers, as a church, and as individuals, we are to be centered around this idea of Christ, and being in Christ, that we are to live our lives in Him, and He living through us. And that's, it's emphasized throughout this letter, uh, if you see how many times the, the phrase in Christ or in Him is, is said throughout the letter. Um, last week, uh, Ryan spoke, and I'd like to thank him for doing that, talking to us and reminding us about, how, regardless of what's happening in the world, that Jesus is still Lord. And saying that Jesus is Lord is not something we can just say so we can dismiss the things that are happening like they don't exist, but it, it's a truth that we hold on to, that because Jesus is Lord, that informs everything we do and everything we say and how we react and how we respond to the situations that we face in our life, in our community, in our family, in our nation, and in our world. Jesus is Lord, and that gives us hope. And that gives us the ability to function and to go and to know that it's not dependent upon exactly what's happening here. Our hope is in Christ, and it's in Him alone. Today, we're going to wrap up chapter 1 of this letter, and we're going to begin in verse 22. And so, if you have your Bibles open there, I invite you to follow along with me, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, The text says these words, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I appreciate Zach reading that earlier because hopefully that that helps us start thinking about what it means for everything to be in him, everything in every way, this fullness. And as we talk about the church and and talk about everything being put under his feet this morning, it it will come to make sense of of the grand picture and the grand scheme of things that that Paul is trying to to convey to us here today. Uh, Paul has spent the first part of this chapter, as we talked about that one long sentence, where it's put together in such a way to praise God for how amazing he is and how the amazing things that he has done for his people uh, Paul is addressing the Jewish uh, believers, and he starts talking about all the blessings that are available in Christ, what it means to be chosen in Christ, redeemed in Christ, and how everything was done to bring glory to God through Christ. And he reminds them of how they, their lives are existent because they are in Christ. He also addresses the Gentile Christians and talks about how, uh, how important it is to be adopted in to the family and how we are his sons and daughters, that, that they are included in Christ through faith and trust in God. And through the Holy Spirit, we have been redeemed, and it's all been done for God's glory. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the prayer that God had, or that Paul had uh, to God on, on the people's behalf. He prays that the Spirit would grant them wisdom and revelation. Uh, the, the parts of his prayer, he, he prays that they would know the hope to which they've been called, that they would realize the riches of their inheritance, and that they would experience the amazing power of God that is available to them and how God is sovereign in everything and over everything, which is something we need to be reminded of. It's something we need to, to be continually reminded of in our life that God truly is sovereign. And because he is powerful, as our text says here this morning, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him 
to be head over everything. Now, Paul has uh, tried to convey something, and, and we've touched on it, but I believe it's worth taking a moment to dive into it here this morning. Paul, Paul is trying to show his audience that God's power is universally applied to all things, and that it has always been the case, and it is still the case today. And to hopefully try to illustrate that, I want to take you on a short journey this morning with me, okay? I invite you to take two steps back with me, and then we're going to take a couple steps forward to to try to to break this down just a little bit better. So the first step back that I would invite you to take with me is back to the, the book of Psalms. If you were to turn back to the book of Psalms, you find in this amazing chapter, in chapter 8, it begins and ends with the same phrase. Verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay? That's how it begins. And then the psalmist says the same thing in verse 9. So it's the bookend of this psalm that says the same thing. But there in the middle, kind of there, in in verse 6, the psalmist says this, You made him ruler over the works of your hand and put everything under his feet. Now, who's he talking about? A little audience participation. Who's the psalmist talking about? Jesus. Always the right church answer, right? But it's not. Okay? Kind of a trick question. The, the, the psalmist is, is really talking about the fact that man is ruler over everything God has created. And I just found that really interesting. So take that thought and then take another step back with me. You go back to where did that idea come from? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26... This idea of mankind ruling over creation, the text says this, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over the earth, over all creatures that move along the ground. Now, here the text is specifically talking about Adam and Eve. They are to rule over creation, right? And here's the interesting part, at least it was to me as I was going through this. We've taken those two steps back, right? Psalms and then Genesis. If we take those two giant leaps back forward, back to when this was written, You find that the Jewish interpreters living at the time of the New Testament, they believed that the right and the authority to rule, given by God in creation, in Genesis 1, had been transferred to the nation of Israel. That makes sense what I'm saying? So they now believe that the nation of Israel is now charged with ruling over all of creation. And that's very significant because here in this letter, what we find is Paul is challenging that belief. He's challenging that understanding of what they've always thought, that they are in charge. And he's saying, you know, it's really not you. It's really Christ who has the right, and Christ who has the authority, and Christ is the kingly reign. It's not you. Now, anybody ever told you you're not all that? Right? Every day, Chris says, and for good measure, right? Now, we don't respond to that very well, do we? And so we've got the the people here that are reading this going, wait, we thought it was all about us. And Paul said, no, this is about, the correct answer is Jesus. There you go. See, you guys can do this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about things being put under him. Part of the holistic story, this plan of God was for Christ to truly rule from beginning to end. To emphasize, once again, how Jesus is the universal Lord over all things. Now, remember, Paul is writing this to a region that practiced the the magic, and and they believed in the, to steal a line from the the world of Harry Potter, they believed in the dark arts, right? They they were into sorcery and tricks and horoscopes and all kinds of, of mythical and mystical thought and worship. And Paul is appealing to them and saying, look, you need to understand that Christ is Lord over 
all of that stuff. And that's something we believe, and that's something we proclaim. We believe here today that Christ is Lord, that through God's power, he is Lord of all. Do you believe that? You don't have to answer that, but I I hope you do. Do you believe that, that Christ is Lord, that he is Lord of all? Because if you do, then I have some questions that we need to talk about for just a second. If Christ is Lord of all and God is sovereign and all those things that, that we hold to and we kind of claim, then why? Right? That's the big question. Why are things the way they are? Why don't things go the way we think they should? Why, why, do, why do things happen that way? If Jesus is Lord over all, then why cancer and war and hate and division and brokenness and, and poor and the marginalized? Why all the sin, right? Why all the heartbreak and the depression and the disappointment? Why does this happen and why does this not happen? I mean, God, if you're God, then why not fill in the blank for whatever you have, right? God, if you're Lord over all, then why do we struggle? Why, why do we have these thoughts of doubt and fear and insecurity? And why is there pain? Why do these things happen? And the hard part is, I think there are times when we just have to acknowledge that these things are true. And we simply have to to be in those moments. And those are not fun moments to be in, but that's where often we find ourselves. And so I, I would encourage us that when we're in those moments, we just need to pause. We just need to, to be in those moments for a moment and, and not just dismiss them too quickly or try to explain them away. Because often in life, life is, is a struggle. And because life is a struggle, what do we need more than anything else? We need Christ to be Lord over all. You see how that works? We need Christ to be present in those moments, and we need to be aware of his presence. Not only do we need Christ to be Lord of all, but we need to be aware that he is with us in those moments. Too often, we forget the fact that God is with us, and he's given us himself, and he's also given us each other, which is why we were never called to do this alone. We were never called to have this individualistic faith that just stands on it by itself. It's a community. It's, it's, we need each other. We need people to be a part of our life, to speak into our life truth and to encourage us, to lovingly hold us when we cry, to sometimes, like Job's friends did for him, to just sit quietly with us and be present because there are no words and there are no answers. And in the midst of that stillness, I believe that God is seeking to remind us that we live in the now but not yet reality of his kingdom. Yes, Christ has already defeated all those things and he is Lord of all, but, but it's not re- all done yet. Through his life and death and burial and resurrection, he conquered all those things. Colossians 2.15 tells us that Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. But as believers, we wait for that final realizing when it will be complete. As Clinton Arnold says, he will subjugate every rebellious power, both heavenly and earthly. That hasn't happened yet, right? And so we wait. So while we believe and we have hope and we have faith that this is true, because it is true, but It's not fully yet realized. He is Lord over all, but his kingdom is now but not yet. So Paul's trying to tell the people, the audience there, that that he is Lord over all. And I think he's trying to say the same to us today. 
because this has a bearing for how we live our lives here in the last part of, of 2016. I would suggest that this is important because uh, the way or the order in which Christ has everything placed under his feet. And, and if you look at the middle of verse 22, it says these words, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Now, a, a little bit of audience participation, and I invite you to humor me for just a moment because this is going to seem really silly. It is, but hopefully it'll make the point. I want you to turn and look at the person next to you or down the row from you or, you know, figure out somebody. Just look at them for just a minute. And here's what I want you to pay special attention to. Look at how their head is connected to their body. Right? Got that? Don't focus so much on the neck, right? But just the relationship, right? Now, apply that image to Christ and the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. And and the the church that's being referenced here is the big C, universal church, right? Not not little C church, but, but big C church. The church that came before and will come after and is present now and is all time and space and location. The big C church. Jesus is the head. Uh, this was a common uh, use of imagery at the time of the writing of this letter. The, the imagery was used by Plato and Greek medical writers. This language can be found uh, in the Hellenized Jewish philosophy as well as other Jewish texts. Jesus as the head of the church. And what's amazing is that we are all participants in that big C church. And we do that as we participate in a little C church, which in our specific location here this morning is PCC, right? Got that? Making sense? Big C church, little C church, kind of under that. Okay, got it? Good. So Jesus is not only the head of the big C church, he's also the head of the little C church. Jesus is the head of PCC, right? That's why it really doesn't matter who's up here. Because Jesus is still in charge. Jesus is still in control. He is who we're following. He he is who we emphasize. He is who we talk about. And it doesn't matter who's here because of where the focus is. We're focused on him and on him alone. Now, for emphasis, I want to take this uh, a step farther. Each little C church is made up of families and individuals. And as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we are the temple of the living God. You are a temple of the living God. And that may be a little scary, right? If you look to your left and right, okay, don't do that, right? But you are a temple of the living God. I am a temple of the living God. We are where God dwells through his spirit. He dwells and lives within us. So as Jesus is head over the big C church, and as Jesus is head over the little C church, he's also the head over each family and each individual, which is so very important to understand, especially if you flip forward a few pages and you get to chapter 5 and chapter 6, where Paul starts talking about the relationship that we have with each other, with husbands and wives and children. And he, he's beginning to paint this picture of what it means for Jesus to be Lord over all and be the head of everything. Christ is the head. He's exalted, and everything is subject to him. The head represents leadership. It carries with it authority. It carries with it rule, which is something that we understand, right? But here's where, to me at least, the imagery starts to, to, starts to have this very beautiful picture to it when we look at what this really and truly means. Because being the head not only has that authority and rule, but it also carries with it this image of being a provider and a supplier to the body. Everything the body needs to be healthy, to be successful, to have life, is supplied through the head. And that makes sense to us when we stop and think about it, right? 
So let that imagery take shape and form in your mind for just a moment. And when you do, I think you begin to see the beauty in that statement. That Christ is the head of the church, of the church, of your family, of you, because it's supplying for the body. Supplying for you. He's supplying what you need. For us as a church, what the church needs. The idea of the head uh, of the church is a vigorous and powerful Lord who conquered death and defeated all the authorities and principalities and put all things under his feet, while at the same time, he provides the church all the resources it needs to not only stand strong in the face of adversity and the things that would seek to destroy us, both individually and as a body of believers, but also to engage in the mission of his kingdom. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because of the way this is set up, Jesus is the head of the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ is the head. The church is the body. And and this is an amazing description of what is happening when we see how Christ is filling the church as the provider. He's filling the church as a supplier. And then as the church is filled, what are we supposed to do in return? Stay full? Overindulge? No. Our call, our mandate is to then fill the world. And the way we as a church, small c, big c, individual c, the way we do that is by proclaiming the gospel, by sharing the good news, by making known the power of God, how he brought redemption and deliverance to people. That yes, life is difficult at times, but it will not always be that way. We've been called to fill people with Christ, to extend the reign of Christ, thus ushering even more of his creation back into a relationship with God that was to his glory from the very beginning. You, I, we, us, both individually and collectively, that's what we're called to do, to share the story of Christ, to live your life in such a way that through your interactions with other people, the way you view money and resources and time, the way you treat those who think and look and act and believe different than you do, the way you do all those things, do people see Jesus shining through you? Is your life a representation of the power of God because you are representing Christ? Are you allowing him to shine through you? In light of of things that happen in life, especially in light of things that have happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, just a couple of questions to maybe help you wrestle with whether or not you are living out what Christ has called you to do and who he's called you to be. In your interactions with people, especially people who think or believe or act differently than you, do you speak or do you listen? Do you seek to be heard or do you seek to hear? Do you seek to be understood or do you seek to understand? Are you seeking to make sure that your will is being put into place, or are you willing to humble yourself and and put someone else's needs ahead of your own? Are you empowered because you feel like you're right and you've been granted access and, and you have authority and rule, or are you humble and extending grace? Are you pursuing your kingdom or yielding to the kingdom of God? 
And in some ways, it'd be really nice if it were that easy, right? An either or. But too often, we walk in that tension of trying to figure that out as we go. Because if it was easy, you'd already be doing it. But we struggle, and we walk, and we trust God, and we try to live our lives in Him, allowing Him to live through us. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that the will of the Father could be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he demonstrates that so beautifully for us through his love for us. He loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to restore us to himself, to show us how long and how high and how wide and how deep his love is for us. And he he gave his life for us. He gave of himself. It's what we remember when we celebrate communion each week. The ushers are going to to go back and and grab the trays, and they're going to to pass the trays here in just a moment. And those trays contain uh, little pieces of bread, which represent Jesus' body, and cups of juice, which represent Jesus' blood. And this morning, uh, like we did last week, I'm going to invite you to take of those and hold them, to hold the bread and to hold the juice, and we'll take them together as a body of believers. And so, ushers, as soon as you're ready to, to pass those out, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and begin passing those out here today. Uh, as we are receiving these elements this morning, I, I want to read to you how one person sought to apply this text. And I think it does it in, in a very beautiful way uh, of how just trying to, to help us see how, how Paul is trying to write to the people and how this applies to us as well. So as they pass out the elements, I invite you to listen to these words. The author says, you have a future hope, and you are deeply cherished by God. Believers can enjoy a profound sense of security. There is no reason for despair when we look into the future. God has called us into a a relationship with himself, and he will one day exercise his power to bring history as we know it to a conclusion. For believers, this will be a time of rejoicing and knowing that everything will finally be brought under the headship of Christ. There is nothing else that will determine our future. Regardless of anything life throws at us, all the trouble, all the heartache, all the loss, and all the pain, it will lose all of its influence in the light of the overwhelming power of God who unfolds history according to his purpose. He continues by saying this, yet this awesome God who has plans for the future of the universe is at the same time tenderly and lovingly interested in his people. We are his own inheritance. He cherishes us and his own people whom he desires to enjoy for all eternity. And I hope you see how that connects and how it makes sense because we are his inheritance as his dearly loved children. And we have been placed under his feet along with everything else. And that is such an amazing and beautiful place to be because God has put Christ as Lord of all, as our head, which means he's supplying for us all of our needs. And I know there's going to be times in life when it doesn't feel that way and it doesn't look that way and it just doesn't seem to be true. And yet we hold on to the fact, we hold on to the truth that Jesus has promised us that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he is with us always. And so when we're in the midst of those rough times, we can rely on his presence because he is with us. 
And if you look around, we are not alone. We do not have to walk through this alone. And so this morning, as we partake of communion, we are celebrating in that common union together that we all participate together under Christ, in Him, as we worship Him, as we celebrate, and as we remember. So as a body of believers, I invite us together this morning to take of the bread, which represents His body. Let's do that at this time. As a body of believers, we take the cup, we drink it, remembering Jesus' blood that he shed for us. There are very few things that we do when we are united. Celebrating what Christ has done for us through communion is one of those things. The statement has often been said that it's level at the foot of the cross. And that is so very true. Because as we talked about at the beginning in our prayer of confession, we all are broken, sinful people. And yet we have been redeemed because of Christ. And that is the news we share. That is the joy we have. That is the hope we have. As we allow Him to be Lord over all. And we come under His feet and we worship Him. This morning, if you have something that's on your heart that you want to pray about, if you have, have something you want to talk about, if you want to surrender your life to the Lord, if you've never sat under his feet and said, I want him to be my Lord and my Savior, we would love to talk to you about any of those things. Uh, we're going to sing a song together here in just a moment. And, and as we do, if, if you want to talk to somebody, I, I'm going to uh, make my way over toward the cross. If you want to join me there, I, I invite you to do that, just to pray together, to worship together, to... to uh, Allow God to speak to us and through us as we worship Him. So I'm going to invite you to stand uh, together at this time as we worship, as we sing, and as we make Him Lord of all.